0: Everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Heralds, Miami Marlins podcast. We've got a special one here today. Spring training is just a few days away. Pitchers and catchers report on Wednesday. Their first, pre- their first workout is Thursday. And with that, we're going to have our first Fish Bites roundtable here. Got four great guests here joining me. First up from MLB.com, Christina Nicola Christina, welcome.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Then uh, we have a couple regulars here uh, Andre Fernandez, regular court, regular. Help here at the Herald and also a, f- a correspondent with Baseball America. How have you been, Dre?
2: Just, just a regular guy. Just a regular guy, Jordan. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Good to be back.
0: And then we have our Miami Herald senior baseball contributor, Craig Mish. Craig, great to see you again.
3: Yes, Jordan. It's great to see you and your beard.
0: Thank you. Been <laughs> working hard on that. <laughs> and then last, but certainly not least, and not last because he joined us about five minutes later
4: than expected, uh, Danny Alvarez from LX
0: Rabase. Danny, how have you been, buddy?
4: I've been good. Thank you, man. And sorry for making you guys wait. A nice beer, by the way. Not as nice as Jeter, the one we saw from Jeter today, but it's nice as well. No, Boy, if, get...
2: boy, <laughs> boy if that's ever a warning, it's a for this show. <laughs> All
0: right, and that's the perfect way to get into our first topic. Uh, Marlin CEO Derek Jeter and principal owner Bruce Sherman uh, addressed the media for about 45 minutes on Monday, gave us some basic state-of-the-franchise updates, with a few of the big updates, the Marlins are planning to have a limited capacity crowd about 20 to 25% through at opening day with the hope that as the pandemic continues to get under control, that they can increase the crowd as the season goes on. Um, on the field, they continue to want to see progress, especially after making the playoffs during the shortened 2020 season. But in the same vein, they're also prioritizing their normal long-term goal of seeing what they have with their farm system. So just one at a time, let's just go through what you guys thought from the, from Jeter's comments and what your open takeaways were. Uh, Christina, let's start with you.
1: Yeah, I guess um, the main takeaway for me is how since Derek Jeter and Bruce Sherman took over, they've been very consistent with their message and their plan. And in 2021, it's almost a juggling act that they're going to have to do where you know a lot of people thought they were ahead of schedule in 2020 by making the postseason but they also had a lost minor league season. So a lot of those prospects were either rushed up earlier and they missed a whole year of development. So in 2021, how do you try to compete in this NL East and build off the momentum, but at the same time, get you know, those prospects, reps, and the growing pains that might come with it and possibly ensuing losses? Uh, Andre?
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely. This is a, it's a balancing act still for them, but at the same time, you know, people are expecting a step back this year. In terms of wins and could happen obviously and you've seen what the division has done but i mean if you look at the, the way they're progressing is kind of the same time frame that we all thought and you know th- like christina said it's important for these guys to continue to recover that development time because the alternate training site that's fine but it was not the same as facing other competition that sort of thing and a lot of these guys are going to need that extra time that's why i'm not really worried about you know the whole surplus of outfielders as was asked today and that sort of thing because guys will either need that time in the minors to recover, or you'll see that the, the the veterans that are there aren't on long-term contracts. So there'll be space for those guys to come up. I mean, the biggest takeaway, I, the, the most entertaining part to me was the part when Barry asked about some of their financials and, you know, that it, it, it you know, in a serious note, you wonder, you know, you see how much spending their rivals are uh, can can make and you wonder in the long term financially, how much they'll be able to, sustain what they are hoping to accomplish because you know the tv deal is coming but it's not gonna be anything ultra lucrative that'll be such a change you know they still need a sponsor on the stadium baseball's taking a big hit because of the pandemic overall and them especially a team that relies so much on revenue sharing that sort of thing you know that's where it intrigues me going forward is will this team on the long run be able to compete and sustain themselves against all and not just in the nl east but overall i mean the dodgers the padres have made moves You know, in the long run, their all their their ultimate goal, how will they be able to approach that? That or they're just gonna have to be as smart as the Rays and make all the right moves with no big with hardly any big names at all and 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 try to do it that way. But that as we've seen is very rare.
0: Craig, you wanna hop in?
3: Yeah, I, I think a few things. First, what Andre said definitely is gonna have to be the case. They are gonna have to be more like the Rays as opposed to any other team. I don't ever see them. Uh, paying anyone 200 or $300 million ever uh, as long as this ownership is in place. And by the way, I do believe that that both Bruce Sherman and Derek Jeter are are in this for the long haul. I, I think that um, I, I don't know that there'll be another owner for the next 10 or 20 years outside of these two. I do believe that they are, they are in this for, for the long term, as far as the, the winning and losing is concerned that that's another key point here because the Braves are still very young and very good. And the Mets just got a new owner who's willing to spend. So they're going to have to fight those clubs for sure. I don't know about Washington and Philadelphia, but they're going to have those two teams that I just mentioned are going to be in this for a long time. So I think the important thing and the one thing that maybe that I would see it differently, perhaps than what we're talking about here is that I think that Miami's build or rebuild has to be considered different than other clubs. And while I do understand that their process is going to take time, I don't think that they can be afforded the kind of time that Detroit and Baltimore and Pittsburgh and some other fan bases can, because they already have fans and they have fans that are going to come, whether or not they win or lose. So I think that 2021 is a critical year to just not fall on their face and not totally go back to where they were a couple of years ago, which means 95 to 100 losses. As long, as long as they're competitive and the games are exciting, I think they'll be okay. But the notion that they can go into 2022 and still be a sub-500 club, to me, you're just not winning any fans back
4: at that point. Danny? Yeah, I agree with, with Craig. I mean, you cannot afford being uh, you know, below 500 uh, at least two years in a row. Obviously, what happened last year was great, and all those – Young guys had the opportunity to play in the big leagues because of what happened with the COVID outbreak and the whole situation. But now you have to start winning. I mean, I, I get the whole point of being competitive and what Gita always says about every time you wear a uniform, you have the opportunity to compete and to win games. Yeah, it's, all, it's, it's nice to, to say that, but you cannot say that every year saying, like, oh yeah, but at least we're competing. I know they want to win. They want to win uh, even more than what they, what they did last year. Uh, I know how critical is, you know, winning for a guy like Derek Jeter, but um, they they really have to. Uh, I mean, they really they really have to win. And as everyone everyone knows, the analyst is stronger, getting stronger. Craig mentioned that the Braves are younger; they have a young core that is going to be around for so many time, and not spending too much money because when you have 130 million invested in Ronald Acuna and OC Alves I mean that's a steal from from the Braves I mean they they have plenty of room to keep adding players and keep developing players same with the Mets I think same with the the Nationals with Soto and Turner and the whole uh, young core that they have with the veteran experience so in order to compete with with those uh, teams as Andre said you have to be smart and maybe being smart is not only spending money but developing players and I know that they have a a bunch of guys you know in the top uh, 100 prospects list of MLB pipeline and baseball America, and whatever but they need to perform and I mean you do nothing by having those players in that list if they're not performing the way they should so yeah uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what's going what's going to happen in spring training because there's going to be a lot of healthy competition as Don Maddenley says all the time but, uh, again, you have to, to start winning.
0: Yeah, and then one other point to round out all of this was when we talked about fan attendance and just getting that that excitement, that level back from the fan base after being spurred by previous ownerships, uh, I think Craig actually pointed out, as Bruce Sherman was talking about it, the Marlins had two playoff series last season and didn't get to do any of it at the ballpark, at Marlins Park. Everything was at either at Chicago for the best of three series or in Houston for a neutral site. And we didn't really get a chance to really gauge from a, just watching butts and seats perspective of how much that playoff run in the 60 game season really turned, tilted the needle in any way from with the fan base. And we will hopefully be able to get a glimpse of that in 2021 with being able to have fans back in the ballpark and being able to start seeing the engagement from the community. But that's also going to be critical to see how much they can do with 2021, considering if they do end up falling flat and reverting back to what, what's been happening in the years before, it's going to be, it's going to be tough to be able to bring the, that fan base back around since they've been looking for some sort of consistency out of this group. They finally saw something and had to do it from a distance. If anybody wants to chime in on following up with that. Well,
2: I mean, the one thing, not just – Everything you just said about contemporary and and what Craig brought up about right now, if, if you can get that going again now. But we've seen the, what worries me is is Miami, the city, the way it is because the Marlins in the past, when they made the playoffs and they won the World Series, fans came, and fans got excited when that run was happening toward the end, like September, October, and then it went away again. And granted, they broke up the teams twice or three times, or whatever it was, and but it's that's the thing. That's the whole thing with this franchise. It's like it's never been kept together long enough to generate that so it all it all hinges to me it all hinges on can they pull something like this off and like again the other point that Craig made about you can't just you can't just go back to 100 losses if it's 70 ish wins and you see some positivity you see some real like tangible progress that's different but a, a complete go back to 2018 and then things get scary because you lose what you lose what you you know you lose the momentum
1: I'm curious as to, you know, everyone's thoughts. A lot of times the Marlins say they believe they'll be in every game because of their starting pitching. Now with a 162 game season though, a lot of these guys haven't pitched that many innings where, how's that going to turn out? Do you guys think? I'm curious, because I think, you know, as they said, with they're starting pitching, they should technically be in every game. It's just a matter of if they get enough, you know, offense, but you know, by, Late August, September, those guys are going to run out of innings? What's going to happen, and are the losses going to come out well, of it?
2: Well, are the arm's going to hold up. That's All right. Sense. Well, I, I think I think
3: that, that in Christine, it's a fair point. I think that you could probably ask that question on every on every club. It's it's like it's probably going to be an underlying theme. I know Seattle's talking about six men to start, and and from Miami's perspective too. I feel like they do have some options. I don't know if they're great, but they do have Nick Neidert and they certainly do have Braxton Garrett and eventually Edward Cabrera. And, you know, Ross Detweiler has started a lot of games over the course of his career. So I think they have those players intact, but what Miami doesn't have, uh, really nobody has when you really think about it. I mean, there's only one Garrett Cole. There's only one Max Scherzer. There's only one... Uh, You know, I guess Walker Bueller would probably be in that category. There's just, I I think there's so few pitchers that are going to enter the season with even the goal of throwing 200 innings. And I know we saw Sandy do that. He's probably the one of the five that I would say is most likely. And, and I, and I just, for me, I just think it'll be a league wide issue. I don't know if it'll be as much a Marlins issue, but to Christina's point, the reason why it could be more of a Marlins issue is because they don't have the bats to back up the pitching. So yeah. if something was to happen to the pitching, like it was to happen to the Yankees or the White Sox or the Padres or the Dodgers, uh, they'll, you know, they, they're going to score eight, 10 runs a game I and mean, they the best offenses in baseball. The Marlins are not going to have that. So that's why their pitching is so important. But I do think that they have some viable replacements. It's just that to me, this league is, is so bereft of horses aces and only a few teams have them. So I don't really, Get all that worked up about that,
4: and I and I think that's why bullpen depth is so important for them. And Kimang mentioned this plenty of times, saying with uh, Jeter and Mattingly, and I mean that's why they they added Bass and a couple of guys from their Rule Five and and all of that. But uh, as Craig says, that's that's what worries me about this team. I mean their offense. I mean is is it going to be good enough to um, you know give that run support to that pitching? Because if not, they're going to suffer a lot. And I see and and I agree that it's going to be a league-wide issue with pitchers not throwing over 180, 190, maybe 200 innings. Um, But especially with the Marlins, I think that it it was a good idea to sign maybe a couple of veteran arms. I don't know. know, Anibal Sanchez was over there um, and plenty of of other free agents that might help you to build those innings and then – take some, some pressure off those young arms because at the end in August and September that might be uh, that, that might hurt them. I don't I don't know if you know at what point, but uh, I'm I'm a little bit worried about you know their arms and how how many innings they're gonna throw in in 2021. 20,
0: you know, it's definitely a cause for concern. As Craig, said Sandy's the only person on this staff. Which again, all of their starters are 25 years old or younger. Sandy's the only one who's gone through and made 30 plus starts in a year. Pablo yeah. Lopez looked great last year in the limited sample size, but 2018, and 2019, he ended the year with shoulder with on the IL with shoulder injuries. Sixo Sanchez, they're still. It's gonna be interesting to see how they ease, continue easing back in from the elbow inflammation stuff that they had when they got him from the trade and knowing that he only had seven starts under his belt. And you have all of the guys who had five, six, seven starts last year and need to see how they ease them back in and how they're going to be able to live to the pressure of 20, 25, potentially 30 starts doubling and tripling what they did last season. And it'll be interesting to watch how they monitor all of them and then to see how they end up mixing and matching guys to make sure they're able to get all the innings that they're going to end up needing.
4: Yeah, and and the last, at least the last three starts for Sixth, including the one in Atlanta, um, in Houston against Atlanta, I mean, he he looked a little bit tired when he got to the fifth inning. He made more pitches, he was facing the the lineup for the third time, but early in the game, and that's, that's some, I mean, those are little signs that, I mean, when you see that, you. I mean, he has to work in in that aspect of the game uh, in order to be an ace, which is what he's supposed to, to be, and when we all think he he can be uh so yeah that's what <laughs> worries me a bit and we're all talking about arm
2: fatigue and injuries but let's not forget covid
4: yeah yeah
2: every sport uh, we're looking at yeah. how a guy guy or guys could suddenly drop and suddenly you're without four guys a specific game <laughs> right. or something
3: yep. it, is, it is interesting that danny brings that up because it, it, you know now that you really think it through they they've had guys that they've called up just to get pounded you know like like ben meyer noessi you know, they, they've had those guys that you just knew that were not going to be very successful. No offense to them. Maybe some offense to Noesi. He was terrible. But, <laughs> but, but And on the personal but, side,
4: terrible as well. <laughs> oh,
3: horrible, horrible. But but, but they, they do need, I, I think that, look, if, if you're talking about a AAA rotation that includes Nick Neidert and Edward Cabrera and Braxton Garrett, they may need someone there. Like Danny said, they may need a, uh, you know, a Matt Harvey, Felix Hernandez type that is just nowhere that's making triple a starts that can be you know an hour flight away in uh is it jacksonville this triple a
4: yeah yeah,
3: yeah I'll, Jack- I'll put out the drink and managing yeah they may need that they mean that's a fair point they may need that but but to as far as what i know i, I don't think they've even spoken to any of those types so
0: Yep, and now let's quickly let's transition over to spring training itself. We're going to have actual baseball stuff to start talking about in the next couple of days. Uh, specifically, there's a, there are a lot of different things you can be looking at between position battles, prospects to watch players who you may just want to be get, keeping your eye on. I'm interested. One specific thing, whether it is a position battle, a certain player or some other aspect of the game, what specific thing are you looking forward to watching most? Let's start with Danny this time.
4: Uh, I mean, I have to go with first base. Who's on first? Uh, Jesus Aguilar, Garrett Cooper, they're exactly the same player. Maybe exactly the same player. Uh, big, big guys, a lot of power. Um, not too much defense at first, and they both are perfect DH guys. But there's no DH this year in the National League, so what's going to happen with them? Because you sang both of those, those players. Coop uh, was a little, a little bit more than $1 million if I'm not wrong, uh, Aggie was 4.2 maybe. So, I mean, the main, the main competition for me is right there. And then in second base with Jazz and and, Issa and Diaz. But those guys are not even making uh, a million together. But uh, the, the thing is for me is Aggie and Coop and, and who's going to play on first because they're the same player. And I, don't, I, I mean, there's no way you can say, okay, Aggie's going to play today and Coop tomorrow because we're facing a lefty and tomorrow a righty. No, because they're both right-handed hitters, and you have the same player. So how is it going to be for Mattingly to you know maybe platoon them or whatever? Because we all see that Coop is not the best candidate to play in the outfield. I know that's a possibility for him, but his defense is not good there either, and he he's had you know injuries in the past, not during his minor league career, but in the past in, in the big leagues after the uh, being hit on the on the wrist and. Uh, hamstring injury a couple of years ago. So that's uh, what I'm going to be keeping an eye on because it's going to be an interesting battle. Craig?
3: Yeah, just to follow up on that, that would be my first, but I'll, I'll give another one anyway. I I, w- I would say that... Danny's 100% spot on I don't see any scenario that the Marlins should be carrying both Cooper and Aguilar into the season spring training's a different thing and, and if they want to let that play out and and wait for some other team to call we've also seen trades the night before the season we've seen players move the night before the season I absolutely could see that thing playing itself out I, I don't fault them at all for tendering Aguilar it was the right move at the time and uh, but but I, I think they do have to have a little bit of a reality check, not from a not from a, a player production standpoint, but from just like a, a human standpoint. And I mean, Garrett Cooper's 30 years old. He does not wanna I mean he's gonna sit on the bench. I mean, it just doesn't add up. You you need uh, you need players who also are gonna want to be happy to be there. If Garrett Cooper's playing first base every day, you're telling me Jesus Aguilar is gonna be thrilled sitting on the bench, coming in and and you know, a defensive replacement, eighth, ninth, it just doesn't add up for me. So I prefer if they could to uh, maximize the value there and and get something back in return. But as far as competition, I'll go uh, over to second base. I don't think this is a competition. I think that jazz Chisholm is going to win the job and I think he's going to be the opening day second baseman. And we're going to really get a a good glimpse of essentially, in my opinion, a hand-picked player by Derek Jeter. When he saw him in the Arizona fall league, the Marlins from that point forward, uh, made every attempt to acquire him. They gave up, a potential ace in Zach Gallen. I think that, I think he's the guy there. I think Isan Diaz is going to be in AAA to start the season. And, uh, you know, honestly Eson uh, as good as a kid as he is and his family has not shown a lot at the big league level, both offensively or defensively. And then the big question, as I turn it over to Andre and Christina is if the team isn't playing very well in July is jazz, the shortstop, and Miguel Rojas somewhere else. Cause I think that that's a question that we're going to have to ask ourselves at some point this season. So second base for me is, is interesting, but I think jazz Chisholm wins the job and he is the
2: one that I'll be watching closest. Uh, Andre. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I was going to say second base too. And, and yeah, jazz, I think I agree in the, in the end, he's going to be the choice probably, but I mean, what does that say? Where, where does he fit in with everything else? I mean, the lost season last year between not starting the year, then he comes back, then he gets hurt. So at this point, what's, what, where does he fit in in the long-term plans? You know, I'm curious to see how that shakes out for him. Um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll switch over and talk about the bullpen. I want to see how this, this new-look bullpen with so many different looks, especially the seventh, eighth inning, how that shakes out. Who, who ends up being in which role? Who ends up being the closer primarily? And then just how that plays. We were talking a lot earlier about the starting pitching and how that has to hold up. Well, the bullpen – definitely has to as well. And there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching as there always is. So I'm curious to see where these new acquisitions like Floro and Bass end up and where Yumi lands in, in the whole equation, because he was pretty good for the most part last year, you know, and it'd be interesting to see how he carries that over.
0: All right. Christina.
1: all right, to keep it fresh. Cause I, everything you guys said was, you know, I guess doesn't need to be said anymore. Jorge Alfaro yeah. last, you know, um, when you think back, when he came over from the Phillies, that first spring training, he missed what, however many games he was going all out for a ball and rammed into the dugout railing, missed time. It almost seemed like a, not an omen because he, he was almost league average in 2019. The last year was a completely lost season from him. He, he missed time in spring training. Then he's the guy as COVID is out for a month. And then you just could never get going. So where does he fit in with this organization? Is he going to be the catcher? moving forward. He needs to prove that, you know, he shows strides behind the dish at the plate. We all know he's got the raw power, but he, you know, lacks the plate discipline. Um, you know, says a lot more in the postseason. they go to Chad Wallach because of what he provided provided for the pitching staff. Um, so I want to see how Alfaro is able to, you know, first try to stay healthy in spring training. I mean, he's a big dude. He's in shape, but he's been banged up in the past. Uh, see if he can prove that he is the catcher that, or if they're going to have to look elsewhere moving forward.
0: Yeah, definitely on all four of the fronts. And then I think I'll just round it out with probably the last topic of possible discussion is who are the outfielders outside of the three veterans that they have out there. I mean, Corey Dickerson's looking like the regular and left Marte, the regular and center. Now with Duvall here, he's going to be, he looks like he's going to get Pennsylvania right. And then you have the rest of the guys fighting for one or two spots between Lewis Brinson, Harold Ramirez, Magnery Sierra, Monty Harrison, Jesus Sanchez, eventually down the road, you have you still have J.J. Bladé in the minors and seeing how things play out. I mean, it's going to be interesting how they evaluate who's going to get the bench spot start spots. And especially when you look at guys like Sierra, who's out of options and outside Jesus Sanchez is the only lefty out of that group who you would assume would be ready to be up in the big leagues. You would think, Jesus Sanchez would be starting in triple-A. So then it comes down to Louis Brinson. Do you give him another chance after starting to see some success in a platoon role last year? Or do you go back to Harold Ramirez who had a really great 2019 and then had COVID in 2020 and then one game back after returning from COVID has the injury and is out for the year and then really impresses him winter ball. So you're going to have a lot of discussion, discussion of position battle, competition throughout that group. And then Again, like Craig also said, when we come to July and we see what the record is, could we see potentially any of those guys getting – any of those veterans getting flipped and then start bringing the prospects up for the final two months?
3: All right, I'll, I'll start with this. Okay, so so opening day, Adam Duvall will be in right field, and my guess is, is that they'd like him to play 130, 140 games out there if possible. And then Starling Marte, they would love in center to play 162. He played, I, b- I believe, more than 60 last year, and it was only a yes. 60 game season, right? Uh, left field, Corey Dickerson will play and sit against some lefties, and they have the perfect platoon mate there in Brinson, who, ha- who did very well against lefties. I don't think Brinson gets any at-bats other than against left-handed pitching, but I do believe he makes the team, so that's four. And then the the fifth one is going to be Magnuris Sierra. I mean, as long as they're starting with these double headers the way that they are, with the runner on second base, that's still a huge factor. And 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 he'll be the fastest player on the team, so he's the fifth outfielder. And then you have Jesus Sanchez playing in Triple A in the outfield uh, in Jacksonville with uh, with Monte Harrison. So the only name I didn't mention there was Harold Ramirez, and I think we'll get some clarity on that this week. I'm not sure. What they're exactly going to do, they can obviously bring him to camp. There's also, uh, you know, some, the, the notion of maybe potentially trading him. I don't think he'll be designated for assignment at this point, but if I had to guess opening day, who the five outfielders would be, I think that I just name them there and, and clearly uh, John Birdie can play outfield as well. So for me, Harold Ramirez would be the one 25 uh, man guy that we've seen in the past, either uh, well most likely somewhere else that would that would be my guess
2: well the piggyback on sierra we saw how valuable the speed game was for them last year and we talk about narrowing the talent gap with that they're going to face most of the time in terms of you know with their S- rivals he's one of the biggest ones him and birdie right there that really you know set all that up so uh, that's the use of keeping him for sure because uh, he monte that a little bit again like he was last year but uh, i'm curious to see how duval plays because 16 homers last year in a short amount of time on pace for maybe 43, I think it was. But granted, in a sick lineup, like he was surrounded by so many good hitters in Atlanta plus the ballpark in Atlanta being you know more homer friendly. So how does that translate to Marlins Park into this lineup with obviously not as much talent? I'm curious to see how that plays out with him in such a key role and playing so much.
0: Yeah, and to transition a little bit more, we got the main group from the Bagley Club discussed about Uh, There's going to be a good amount of prospects at camp this year, even if they're not at the big league level yet. Obviously we're going to get our first taste of Max Meyer. We're going to get JJ, we're going to get JJ Bleday again. We're going to get to see some guys like Jose Devers for another, another time around Uh, Gerard Encarnacion from the prospect group, which again, the Marlins have, I think it's 14 of their top 30 prospects, depending on which outlet you look at are on their 40 man roster. Just what, prospect are you guys looking forward to watching even though we know we got a ways away from more than likely seeing him at the big league level uh whoever wants to start can hop on in
2: well you don't going to say six though to start <laughs>
4: no, <laughs> no well, but,
2: I, I mean I, just to, just to see how he bounces back it was such a great yeah kind of breakout performance and then it ended a little you know he had a rough lesson going up against atlanta and and, and, a, and a much better lineup like that so so let's see how his off season was and what he took from that and how much he's improved does he keep it going? I mean, and then besides him, you know, I think staying in the pitching, Edward Cabrera, if he could finally make his debut, you know, and see because a lot he's been compared so much, I and mean, we saw Keith Law had him ahead of everybody in his rankings. Very similar makeup to uh, to six though, but probably with an even better changeup. So let's see how that translates at the big league level. And 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 Trevor Rodgers, who made a huge sp- uh, jump last year, you know, how does he keep it going?
3: Uh, yeah, so I mean, Andre and I see it the same way with Edward Cabrera. I think he's. I think he's may end up the best of anyone they have from from top to bottom for sure. You know. You know what's interesting for me, and then if if those people who are listening to the podcast want to transition over when this is done over to the Herald, there's a column uh, on Tuesday. When 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 are we posting this, Jordan? When are we're, people listening? We're,
0: we're this? posting this Tuesday.
3: <laughs> okay, Tuesday. Yeah, so there's a column where I go through all of the trades that they didn't make this offseason and some of the players that were asked back in return and and specifically in the Contreras one where where the Cubs wanted a lot back from the Marlins, the one name that just keeps coming up in all of these trades is Peyton Burdick. So th- there there's something there with this kid that a lot of other organizations must have seen that the Marlins they they felt the Marlins took him higher than they should have because they thought that maybe he would fall to them. So I need to circle that name in a big way because I think there's a chance he's jumped over uh, Cameron Meisner and, and I wouldn't rule out him jumping over JJ Bliday and getting to the big leagues too. So, you know, a lot of times this for me isn't so much about the Marlins evaluation, but when I hear that so many other clubs were impressed with them taking them and are interested and I hear the questions about him, that's what really piques my interest. So spring training 2021 for me, As Andre mentioned, no doubt Edward Cabrera making starts and it's Peyton Burdick for me on offense.
0: Danny, Christina, whoever wants to go next.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I would would just go with, uh, I mean, already, I I, I agree 100% with Edward Cabrera. I mean, being the, maybe the taller version of uh, Sixto and being better than every other prospect in the organization. Uh, But when you have a guy like, JJ Bladé and the way they drafted him a couple of years ago, you need to give opportunities to that guy, and that's the, the player I want to see because there's a lot of high expectation around him. Obviously, being the first round pick, uh, best player of the league in college baseball a couple of years ago, and you're expecting a lot, a lot from him. So uh, I would guess that maybe in their need of looking for a right a righty, I mean a lefty bat you know, to play in the outfield other than Dickerson, there I mean, he's their guy that might be able to to play on a daily basis in the big leagues. And and that's why I want to see uh, JJ and also uh, Meyer uh, from the pitching standpoint. I mean, when DJ Svelik mentioned uh, last year that he was big league ready, for me that, I mean, that just got stuck in, in my head because I mean when you when you say those three words big league ready I mean that's that tells you that, that it is something special and and I definitely want to see what uh, can be I mean what what can he accomplish in, in spring and going forward
3: yeah as we close out I, there is one question I'd like to ask everyone here honestly because I don't have a good feel for this maybe somebody wants to jump in on this okay does the what? What does everybody think of Corey Dickerson? I'm curious. I, I really am curious because I don't know what to make of, of last year. And we we talk about him. I just feel like as reporters and hosts, so little, probably yeah. less than anybody else. And he was the the main guy they got last off season. So yeah, I'm, you know, I'm kind of curious what everyone thinks about fair. him because yes. you know, a huge jump for him would be great. But is it going to happen? <laughs> like I'm not. I'm not sure.
1: Well, this is where I find interesting, where obviously analytics um, are great for helping you figure out, you know, exit velocity, whatnot, but it doesn't necessarily tell you what's going on behind the scenes. And something that struck me when I was on a long car ride a couple of weeks ago, he uh, was a guest appearance on the Marlins Radio Network. And Miguel Rojas brought up the fact that Dickerson behind the scenes was dealing with uh, his, I think, grandfather passed away. Yeah. And his father had a cancer diagnosis. So, I mean, he's one of those guys, you know, what you're going to get. Kim Ng has mentioned it several times. You, you you have those baseball card numbers, you know, what you're going to get every year. So You wonder with him if, they, you know, that had to play some sort of role into maybe not having the numbers he usually does that, you know, the Marlins thought they could rely on. So and then pair that with the whole COVID-19 outbreak and having to be stuck in a hotel room for a week like just mentally I can imagine that playing a toll and you know having an impact on his you know play on the field I'm not I'm sure he wouldn't use that as an excuse but it wouldn't surprise me
0: mm, definitely and then you also when you look at the back half of the season in the month of September he was hitting I think it was right around 270 slugging almost 430 he found his hot streak toward the end but again he had everything going on the, that first month he was on the he went on the bereavement list for a few days when his grandfather did pass him. But once he came back from that, basically, yeah, looking August 30 and 30th and on, according to his game log on baseball reference, uh, 28 for one Oh five. It's a two sixty seven average. average uh, eight extra base hits, 15 runs scored in, in 28 games. We saw some steadiness more of what we were, what we were, and probably the Marlins were expecting from him but towards that back half. But again, it's, that's a 28-game sample size. It was a 50 some odd game sample size throughout the season. So it's hard to gauge whether this is just an aberration between the drop-off in his numbers over compared to his nearly 280 batting average throughout his career. Or big, if it's
2: had yeah. a big home run in Wrigley, too. Yeah,
0: definitely. No. So I mean, there's definitely it's tough to gauge it off of the small sample size, but it's also is something that needs to be monitored as you go through spring training and more than likely the, at least the first month of the season. Yeah, he's a very
3: yeah. important player that we don't that we
0: don't uh, really about. He, he is,
4: and and for me, he's still being their. I mean, their biggest addition in the last couple of years, including Duval. And now he he. I mean, with Duval, he might have a little bit more protection in the lineup, maybe mm-hmm. uh, with Aggie or Coop and now Duval. Uh, obviously, starting Marte. Uh, I I certainly expect expected a lot from him last year. I mean, we, we all did. But as Christina mentioned, I mean, when you have to to go through all of that, I mean, it, it is not an excuse, but it is a factor, definitely. And if he, I mean, he left every, all of that, you know, behind him, uh, he's definitely going to make uh, a bigger jump this year. And I, and I really expect Dickerson to be maybe not as good as he was, uh, you know, in that first half with the race when he went to the All-Star game here in Miami. But uh, definitely, is going to help uh, much more than than what he did last year. And he's
1: a he's a lefty bat in the lineup. And you know, if we looked at the projected lineup as of now, it would be him, and then the winner of the second base job. And that's pretty much it, right? It's everyone else very right-handed heavy. Yeah,
2: yeah. and and if they do it again, top of either top or near the top of the lineup, guy too. So then an important spot in the yeah. order uh, as well. So we'll we'll see the real Corey Dickerson then, hopefully in 2021. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, with that, I mean, as Andre said, top of the lineup with in the days that John Birdie isn't making a spot starts, is he your leadoff guy? And potentially, I mean, you have him, and who else would you really consider as a sort of leadoff guy? Cause they really don't have that prototypical type guy no. in their lineup.
3: Marte, maybe I don't know. Yeah. Marte, Mar-
4: Marte, maybe, maybe depending on, the, on of, you know, the matchup with a lefty, maybe Rojas. I mean, he yeah. he did that in the, in, in the past. That's why I was, uh, you know, I, I wanted them to sign Cesar Hernandez because he's a lefty, lefty bat second baseman that can be a perfect tough hitter, But, uh, of course, they didn't. So, um, yeah, maybe Marte, Dickerson, Bertie, I don't know if McNarys maybe, or or Miggie Rowe. Yeah, McNarys, but, you know, not going to start off. I mean, he has to play, of course. But I mean, it's going to be does, a spot start for Yeah, him. yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was funny coming into last season. You had VR, and then that obviously I wasn't here that very long. But yeah, still looking for that stable leadoff guy ever since they traded D. So yep.
3: even though he's, he was he was really not well liked, I still can't quit VR. I don't know why I have this thing for <laughs> VR. I guess because I guess he was just so ridiculous that that's he was he was one of the more for, uh, fun parts of last year. I was trying to think. <laughs> every i I think you you were all mostly at, at some of the things that happened but uh you know to me when when we were at that charity event matt kemp by the way was a marlin if you remember last year too at this time but when vr said that he didn't know that he could play the if he could play the outfield or not i knew we were gonna it was gonna be a great year and then i saw him in the clubhouse and it was right before march and then he said that he's going to start off playing DH. And I, and I said, Oh, okay. You know, it's because you're getting used to the outfield. No, not really. It's just because I had a hernia. I'm like, what? What? (laughs) Like, yeah, I had a hernia. I'm like, okay, so let me get a little closer here pre COVID and find out exactly what he's talking about here. Cause I'm, you know, I don't want to be the one to get the language wrong here. And I'm like, so you're saying you had a hernia. He's like, yes, I had a hernia. I was in the hospital in November Mm -hmm. with a hernia. And I said, "Did you tell the team or anything like this?" Or whatever? and he was just like, "Yeah, you know." Then and I remember asking people tomorrow, I "Was like, did you know he had a hernia?" They're like, "What?" They're like, "It was like, not. It wasn't really a hernia. It was like something else." And I and I knew with those things happening that we were going to be in for a ride with, with this guy. Yeah. Unfortunately, it didn't work out, and and players pretty much universally very disliked
4: him. So yeah, yeah, I I, I, I saw it um, during the Caribbean series we had Cervelli on the, on the broadcast. He was like, yeah, he's very talented. But, uh, I mean, you're always expecting a little bit more of maybe hustle or attitude or something like that. I mean, for me, it was hilarious when I asked him, like, what's your approach? What's your plan when you're at the plate? And he's like, I have no approach. I have no plan. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I mean, that's why I'm asking you. But anyway. But, but, I, I but, yeah. but
3: last thing on him, I would guarantee you, mark it down, 2021 – there'll be at least a two-week period on the Mets where VR is awesome. It, it, I don't know when it's – he m- pr- may be horrible the rest, but there's going to be a two-week period where this guy is just going to rake. He's going to steal bases. You're going to think – you're going to watch. You're going to think he's the best player ever, and then you'll be fooled.
4: with a four-game series against the Marlins, of course. And April, 15, a- <laughs> April
2: be- 15th, NL Player of the Week, Jonathan VR. There you go. And then he'll yeah. disappear. <laughs> and there will be at
4: least one
0: game where he's at least halfway between third and home looking to steal a base.
3: That was the best. That was the best. That was the best. And then Sierra yelling at him to go back in the uh from the from the dugout. Oh, I was so upset I didn't get that picture. I got the next pitch where he had walked back a little bit, but yeah. I mean, that, 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 you know, adds, you know, to, to close it out for me, that's, that's actually what I want to end with too, because I, I got to say, and all of, and all of you have been in the clubhouse a lot. And all of you are reporters too. That hurts my heart. Knowing again, we're headed to another spring training that we're not able to get in front of these. Oh, yeah.
0: agreed. It is
3: it is just,
0: yeah.
3: I've made my living doing this for 25 years of getting to know people and texts are great. And yeah, like I'll break news and, and do stories off text. That's the way that everybody does it these days but some of the best relationships that I've made with players and started relationships with players, executives, people, coaches, have all been in person. And, and I, and I really, no one's ever going to feel bad for us. We're all doing what we love to do and, and talking about sports and getting paid for it. I totally get it. But this is always my favorite time of the year is knowing that this is coming spring training guys who haven't talked to anyone. They want to talk, they want to be friendly. They want to sign autographs for fans. I mean, in March, they haven't signed for a year. And we're losing that again this year. And and the Marlins do a great job of giving us the Zoom interviews and all that, and they do the best they can. But to me, and there's just no replacing that element of it. And I'm sad again as we. I'm excited for baseball, but I'm sad to know that I'll be sitting here again on a Zoom doing interviews again.
2: Yeah, when when you were telling the VR story and you said when I saw him in the clubhouse, I was like, oh are we ever going to be able to say that again? (laughs) Or when are we going to be, when or if are we ever going to be
4: able to say that again? Yeah, because now I, now I'm a a bit worried, but I mean, with everything that it's been going on with the, the whole, the athletic story and the, reporting reported on the Mets and, you know, all of that, you know, being as well in the conversation, I don't know. I'm not quite sure if we are ever going to be again in a clubhouse.
2: Poor guys camped out of the gate outside Jupiter. The, the guys that are always there yeah. it's like seven o'clock and they haven't left waiting for he an autograph card, they mistake yeah. us for the players and they're like hey yeah,
3: but they but you know but you know what look I mean a lot of them out there I, I never I, I don't knock anybody's hustle because I understand that you know I mean you may not like the fact that they get the autographs and sell them or whatever but what, what everybody choose to do with their life I, I don't I don't begrudge them for it but going back to that like that's the rite of passage when I was young 10 years old, 12 years old, going to West Palm beach, going to Pompano park, my dad taking me to games. And, and I would always wonder like, like dad, why, why why are we going to spring training games to get autographs? He's like, well, well, first of all, the Marlins weren't here at the time. There was no regular season, but they were, my dad would always say because they haven't signed autographs in almost a year. And when spring training starts, they're ready to do it again. And I, it was always the case. And so, you know, I have an eight year old son he's already asking me to go to spring training games Am I going to be able to get autographs? Am I going to be able to take pictures? I'm like, this year, you're going to be in a pod. There's going to be glass. There's no, I mean, that's that's what it's going to be. So I hate to be a downer on it because it it is just so positive that we're going to have baseball again. But 2022 for me is really what I can't wait for because I know that when that comes back, then we'll all be back again in the clubhouse waiting for the pitcher after spring training. Right? Like These are all fun things that we were able to do.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it does bring the reality back to the situation where, yes, it's the fun of baseball, the fun of everything, but we also know what's going on outside of that individual bubble as we see everything with COVID still going on. But again, spring training's almost here. Before you know it's going to be opening day, Marlins and Rays on April 1st. And that's, I think, going to wrap it up for us on this roundtable. This was fun, guys. This was a lot of fun. Thank you guys for coming on.
4: Oh, thank you, Jordan.
2: Yeah, thank you. Be on, t- be on time next time, Danny. Apparently,
4: <laughs> nah, sorry.
0: So- says Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we're gonna five minutes, does it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're gonna try to do more of these again. We'll probably do another one once spring training wraps up to preview the actual season. Once we have a little bit more data, a little bit more knowing what's going to happen. But again, thank you guys so much for coming on to the Fish Bike Podcast, and we'll do this again somewhere down the road. And the podcast itself will be back again next week. Thanks so much, everyone.